Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, welcome everybody. Welcome, welcome to T25CL Galaxy Talk Radio here at Roslyn's Corner. It's great to have everyone here. I hope everyone had a great day today. A little June gloom was happening, but that's okay. Hey, you know, we're able to see a new day. Come on now. Uh, but listen, I hope everyone had a great day. Like I said, um, we're here at T25CL Galaxy Talk Radio, and we're going to have a great show. I know so many people are probably watching the Warriors and the and the, and the Cleveland Cavaliers tonight, but that's okay. Uh, we got a great uh, guest in the house tonight, and we're going to have a great show, okay? But I would like everyone, you know, log into our website at www.t25cl Galaxy Talk Radio. View the great artists, music artists that we have online. Also, we have uh, some books on ebook there for Dr. Nanana Quaker, who will be my guest later on. He'll be coming and joining me on the show as well. But like I always say, T25CL, Galaxy Talk Radio and Entertainment, we are a very innovative company doing uh, independent music artists, film, uh, songstress, uh, those who have spoken word. Uh, we are the avenue for your global distribution, okay? Uh, so tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give a, a little introduction of my guest tonight, uh, a great gentleman, great gentleman that I have, I've had the pleasure to know. Uh, but I'm going to give you a little bit about, uh, you know, his background, a little bit that um, um, I found out about him, okay? Because there's questions that were posed to, you know, individuals or people who've had, let's say, a rough time in life, okay? Uh, the question was asked, were you ever denied an occupational license? I believe you were denied the job because of your convictions. And he says, let's get you that certificate of rehabilitation, pardon by reducing your felonies to misdemeanors. And I know a lot of you are going to call on here and say, hey, how can I do that, Okay. Reclaiming your future is your right. Are you needing to do a deferred entry judgment program or a DEJ? And there are other questions that are posed. For the first time, it's really overwhelming or it's frustrating and embarrassing, yet not impossible, okay? So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight I have my guest on. is uh, none other than my guest, David Bitzer. David, welcome to T25CL here at Galaxy Talk Radio at Roslyn's Corner. Welcome, my friend. Uh, welcome, Roslyn. Thank you for having me on your show tonight. Oh, I am I am honored to have you on tonight. So, uh, you know, what I'm going to do is I've got several people that's on the line right now. I've already got questions uh, to pose to you. But I want you to give, and this is what I always do with my guests, before they've even started in the field of expertise of which they're doing now, there's always that starting point. What gave you 
the desire, the ambition to do what you're doing today? Where did it all begin? Uh, well, geez, uh, <clears throat> you know, people ask me that question, and then I would then look at them and I would ask them, well, what time do you have on your watch? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's a, a little bit about me. Uh, I uh, was in the military, and as I was in the military in 74 to 86, uh, I was at the Army Rangers, and I uh, got honorably discharged uh, a rank of uh, first lieutenant, and then uh, going right in there, right after high school, uh, I was also thinking about maybe a career in law enforcement. And I went ahead and got involved in a program with the LAPD uh, to be in a reserve officer status. And uh, realizing that I was assigned certain things to do and certain places to be, I noticed that the the, the populations there, as far as substance abuse, domestic violence, uh, anger, and those typical ones there, uh, they were all being arrested. And then they went through the court system. But then as they went through the court system, they were given one or two options, and the first option was, well, do you want to go to a program? A program meaning that in lieu of custody, you can go to a program that's certified by the county probation department uh, to attend, and it'll be education. And the education will be to try to mitigate the, the happenstance of the behaviors that attitudes that got you where you're at, having been arrested and now having to make a choice, either a program or custody. Well, I thought that was really fascinating. And I started to, to enjoy the thought about opening a school and being part of the process to rehabilitate people. With uh, the years of experience that I have been doing this now, I went ahead and uh, got a, uh, a degree of master's in the University of Illinois in 96 for criminology. I then had uh, applied uh, and went to school again uh, to get a certified board addiction specialist for alcohol and drugs. Having those credentials allowed me to then apply for program uh, acceptance with the Department of uh, Probation and also with the Los Angeles County Substance Abuse and Prevention and Control working with drug diversion cases. So I now have a mix of drug diversion cases, domestic violence, anger management. But my business has now expanded to where I have an MFT, marriage family therapist. And now I have cases coming in besides the courts, also with the Department of Children and Family Services. And these are parents that have these issues that, unfortunately, now the children have become victims of the adults, of the adults still wanting to continue to be what they want to be. And what they want to be is neglectful, uh, negligent. Uh, they get to a point where until an intervention happens, such as a neighbor calling the police or something along those lines, outside agencies get involved. 
where the parents are uninvolved and now becomes the responsibility of these agencies to take care of the children, but also to monitor the adults. Mm-hmm. By, mm-hmm. by monitoring the adults, we requires me to educate them so that when they do sufficiently well, say usually treatment is about, say, six months or so uh, of education that I provide, will child reunification be possible? During the interim of the process, some parents um, don't care, and the children will go to foster care. There are other well, yeah, well, well you, you're giving us a, a lot of information, Dave, but let me, let me back up a little bit because um, when you talk about this generation and the generations past, I mean, from the time that you have begun uh, being a part of the judicial system and seeing all these heartbreaking cases of substance abuse, of, 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 of people being incarcerated and having to come out of incarceration and, and having such a hard time. Um, between our generations, from the first time you started to now, what can you say about our generations that has really changed? Because like you said, you know, some of the parents, they don't even care about the children today, and they just let them, you know, fall by the wayside or go into the judicial system. Uh, what what has really changed? Because I know that you've seen so many cases. Well, uh, I'm, I'm thinking that our generation will be from uh, the 50s. <laughs> mm-hmm. There was uh, values that the parents will teach us uh, to be mindful in disciplinary actions. Um, father would be the sole person to thank the children on the butt for not doing right things, whereas the mom would not have anything to do with that discipline and uh, will always be being threatening the children, saying, well, wait till your father gets home. Mm-hmm. Well, we had that situation that went into the 50s and 60s, and the, the people that got out of that generation uh, – that are today in their ages of 60, 65, or 70. Well, they recall the, the, the corporal punishment that was, at that time, acceptable practice to, to, to get them to change their attitudes and behaviors of children. However, now these same children today have families, and their children uh, with nothing left to rely on what worked for mom and dad at that time is still used today. Well, now we have larger difficulties, technical difficulties, so to speak, where what was practiced then of a generation before us is not acceptable today. Mm. And a lot of people that are in these ages of 50, 60, 70, that have teens uh, are at a loss. And how to do the discipline or the corrections needed that are conducive to what the practices of the laws are today, in today's real world. And there lies the problem. A lot of parents are in lockstep with their old behaviors and attitudes, saying, well, it's good for me, it's good for them, it works for me, it's going to work for them. Well, that isn't true anymore. Exactly. And that transition now is very difficult for many, many parents. And they can't be in a barrel with this 
condition of the dam, so to speak, in conflict. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I see because, you know, we used to be, your daddy used to have that belt. And I remember times when parents used to say, you know, wait till your daddy get home, you know, and, and things of that nature. But now so many children, uh, the parents are more scared of the children than the other way around. And with the substance abuse and the neglect of so many um that now the generation today, they could, you know, some of them just could really give a care about their lives uh, with the substance abuse. And, 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 and like you're saying, like other cases would, would have no, you know, uh, talking about illicit substances and, and the paraphernalia to, would you say, to accommodate to use, the use of whatever substance was present, that you're thinking about, the, the drugs, the, the weed and the, the crack cocaine and the heroin and the PCP and the lace and all that stuff that's going on uh, within this past couple of decades has really um, changed the mindset of um, the judicial system because they have to deal with a whole different, uh, 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 whole different you know, strategy dealing with the drug addicts. And then you have the gangbangers. You have uh, gangbangers, um, you know, the Rolling Crips and all, you know, all these things, the Mexican mafia. You have so many who are, who, whose mindset is just to take over their territory, which is not their territory. It's all the territory that belongs to the government. We don't own nothing. But the thing of it is, is when we think about how um, the generations have, everything has really broken down. There's a lack of communication. There's a lack of concern with the generations coming of age today. Um, we have a couple of callers on the line. I'm going to bring in a couple because I know they got some questions um, to pose to you tonight, Dave. Um, caller, give us your name and where you're calling in from. Oh, hi. It's Lisa. Uh, hi, Lisa. Hi. How are you tonight? I'm good, thanks. How's everyone? Good, good, good. good. Uh, do you have a question or comment for our guest tonight? Well, I was just listening in. It was, you know, like good to hear the background. Very impressive uh, rise through the ranks. I guess I was wondering, you know, with all the experience you've had, have you had a, a chance to work in the Chicago system, uh, you know, in, in that capacity as, you know, law, law enforcement? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, my uh, roots are all there in, in Chicago, as well as my parents, as a matter of fact. Uh, I have been out here now for about oh, 15, 20 years now. And so my, my dynamics and my education and my understanding and assimilating, because even though there's, there's crimes and criminal activities that overlap in city to city, there are still unique conditions that still exist. Unless you live in the city, then you know what those unique conditions are. Not just me having an office here in the Harbor area uh, has given me the, the awareness and the sensibility to, to respond with the people in the population that are within the community. So what I had done back in Chicago helps, but it's it's a chapter in my life that as I go through my treatment plan to help others 
in today's sense, in today's world, it's a chapter that I am developing and, and doing right now and will probably for the rest of my life because I decided that uh, it's okay to visit back there, but my home is here in Los Angeles. That being said, for me to, to, to integrate well with the common denominators of the, the multi-class personalities and problems and situations and setbacks and uh, trials and tribulations, you know, there's an old adage that says, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? Well, that's, mm-hmm. what I, that's what I need to be part of. I need to be a Roman in the city of Rome and not an outsider. And this, it gives me the leverage and the advantage that I need to, to cross those bridges that a lot of people have lost hope or felt that they already had burned their bridges. And how can anybody relate or understand me when they haven't been in my shoes or walked the streets that I have or lived in the, the, the cities that I call home? So it's very important for me to, transit, to do that transition. And I have succeeded in doing that transition very well now to a point where uh, the, the people that, are, that come my way for referrals, besides being court-ordered or through the formal probation or even with parole, um, there's word of mouth happening right now, which is really fantastic. Let me, let me if I could just emphasize a point here, if I may, girls, is that uh, many programs that I do are also saturated in the same cities in Los Angeles, Jardina, Madonna Beach, all the other neighboring communities. And these folks have been around for about, say, 25 or 30 years. What's happened in those 25 or 30 years, okay, is like we were just talking with Rosalind about generations, generations going from one generation to another. So, for example, here I've been in practice now, my private practice, for about five years, okay, but then what's happened here is, is that I hear from other clients saying, well, my, I would ask my mom and dad, well, where did you guys go when you got in trouble, when you got drunk driving, or when you got arrested by the police, or when you needed rehabilitation? Where did you go? Because now their children are asking their parents, because their parents had experienced that, okay, a generation before them, and now they say, well, I went to program XYZ, that's where I went. They're still there and they're still in business. Go where I went. And so that's the direction of them as helping their children. But look what the help is being issued here. It's a continuation of the same chain. It's the same chain of bondage, okay, that the children are, are following in the footsteps of their parents and going to the same facilities for treatment for the same criminal offender problems. Wow. And, you know, I've seen that. I have seen that, you know, the children are falling in the footsteps of the parents and not getting anywhere in life. It's really sad to see that. Um, um, uh, We have another caller online. Uh, Caller from New Jersey, give us your name and where you're calling from. Uh, Yes, hi, this is Alex. Good night. How are you? Hi, doing very well. How are you tonight, Alex? Good, good. I was just listening in, a very impressive resume for um, your guest tonight, and um, very uh, uh, good work that you're doing out there, sir. 
I'm just listening in, though. Okay. This, this, is a, this is a point I wanted to bring up too, Dave, because I know you, you've seen the, the hard, hard cases, and I know that you've seen the, the cases that has been very successful. Um, without even saying any names or anything, anything like that, of course, because it is uh, private. But tell us about, you know, a couple of cases that you just saw that you thought might have been really just impossible to turn around. <laughs> well, that, that, that you're putting me under the spotlight, okay? And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, truth be told, uh, before I go on any further, what the caller from New Jersey? Her name is Alex. Yes, Alex. Oh, Alex. Alex, did you have a question before I go on another ten minute thing here? Uh no. I'll just keep listening in a little bit to you guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, have I ever seen people um, turn things around, turn the corner? The answer is yes, I have. Uh, the clinical term here will be called recidivism. What that means is that uh, they will go into a program to, 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 to better themselves, to get themselves to turn the corner, to see the light, to see what they've done that had caused the, the, the malformity and dysfunction in their lives, and to cease that practice and to replace it with new values, with new principles, new direction, that is hard at first, but with work and daily practice, it can be accomplished but to inspire them and to motivate them for this change, to keep on the right track, one must always be mindful that you can do everything and anything, but then the final decision rests with the person that is seeking the help, after all. And and my heart breaks here and there when I get people that come in saying at first, I'm going to do a great job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm glad it happened when it did. Things kind of got very worse for me. I'm glad I got arrested when I did. I'm glad this happened and before I done something worse or something to somebody or something to my family. And uh, this is a great way for me to stop, get the light bulb turned on, and come to awareness and knowing that I need to do something and I'm just in time to do something now instead of not having that chance ever again. And so I get people that come into my classes with that kind of a, a attitude and behavior. How many on a percentage? Well, I would say about maybe oh, 70%, which is pretty high. The other, say, 10 15% come in, and they don't care about getting themselves well. They just know that they need to do something. And if they show something to the court, if they show something to their probation officers or to their parole agents, then they're just walking through the court. They're not getting anything out of the program, and that's just okay with them. They're going through the motions. And maybe that's what they have done all their lives is just going through the motions, and that's their comfort zone. So despite the ramifications of consequence, they will just kind of walk through it, like they walk through everything else they have in life. And then after they get the completion report from me, yes, then they go before their court, and then their case is discharged. But then I ask my clients, many of them, I said, what happens after you complete my program? Okay? And they kind of look dumbfounded. They're not really sure how to answer that. I ask them again, 
What are you guys going to do after you complete the program? After you go to court, after you get discharged, you've got your freedom back, you're not on probation, you've got a chance to start your life again, brand new. How are you going to do that? Did you do enough while you were in the program to make that difference to sturdy your, your tendencies to stop yourself in time before you go back to your old behavior, right? And here's what I hear. I hear that these same people will say, well, Dave, I, I, I'm not really sure. How, how am I going to go about that? Because now I have to do everything all over again, and the things I knew then I can't do again. I hope I can just do it right and be my best person. I said, yes, you can. And here's what I have here, uh, Alex and, and, and uh, Rosalind, is I have aftercare programs to help meet this need, aftercare programs, okay? Mm. They could come back on a volunteer basis, okay, once a month, just come into a, a group, and then, uh, you know, it, they could get themselves tuned up a little bit, so to speak. But here's the problem, as that I know from experience now, is that when it's a volunteer uh, option, they don't do the option. They, they say, I've already done what I had to do, and if I can figure it out by now, then I'll never, ever be able to figure out ever it again. And here we have a sense of hopelessness, and these people feel that they've gone as far as they can, but what about all the rest of the years you have to live? What about all the other people you're going to directly be in contact with or indirectly? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about those individuals? How about uh, the, the public? How about privately? What about all this? And and they don't see, they don't sense long-term realization of, of obligation. All they're familiar with is short-term gratification. And herein lies the problem. And I know this, and I see this, and I try to teach them this and have them understand this. And I, I do get some calls, rarely I do, but not as many as I would like saying, hi, Dave, how you doing? Just thought I would say hi. I do get a few, but these few are far and in between the many of hundreds that I have seen over the years. Where are they at? What are they doing? Have they done better? Are they doing worse? I only God only knows. All I know is that I have my opportunity, my chance, to try to get them past these hurdles while they're with me, but some don't do well and meeting the objective, for example, or a domestic violence case in Los Angeles, you're required to do one year. You do one week, two hours with a facilitator, myself, I do the education. Well, somewhere along the way, they're still having their old habits. Their, their victims will call them up, or, or their girlfriends or boyfriends will text them or, or visit with them, or cause them so that they will be in violation of the orders that they were told not to violate, just because of the emotional part is so hard to be separated from after being with them for a period of time that they'll forgive themselves and cross that legal line and end up being rearrested again. And then their only justification is they'll say, well, she needed me, or she needed me to help her with her medications, or I miss my kids, and my kids miss their father, and they have to be with their father, even though by telephone call, I still have to physically see them once a month. Well, they've been ordered by, no, you will not, 
No, you shall not. And if you do because you had a chance to do the right thing, now we have to make sure you do the right thing, and these are our house rules, not yours. And, and that's where the big conflict of, of, of perception comes in, about what I feel that I can still get away with and what the system demands and expects for me to be in compliance with the orders. There's a rivalry here, and it's very wide, and it's very deep. And unfortunately, some make it and some don't. For I have some people in my group, Rosalind and Howard, that will be with me, say, for about maybe three months, maybe up to six months. All of a sudden, then things start showing up, okay? On the negative side, the things that start showing up is their attendances. They're not doing as well, or they're not doing their payments, or their participation is not as what it used to be because they're still continuing on doing the same things, the same elements that caused the case, but while they're with me, unless they have some independent therapy perhaps, or some other therapeutic um, leveling tool to help them to succeed, and just on their own within, just clinging on to what I'm able to do only once a week just for a few hours, may, I may not be enough. And some of them, well, disappear off the radar. Never to, after a certain amount of weeks go by, there's no call, there's no nothing, and then that's it. Um, wherever they went, whatever they did, did they get rearrested? Did they decide that they want to leave town? Who understands this? I, I try to, but as they try to understand themselves. Now, I do have people that do complete programs, that people are thankful, people are grateful. People are humbled by the experience, on the other hand, on the positive side. Mm-hmm. And these are the people that I know that as they go talking with other people and their children and families and whatnot, and they hear of their surmise and they need a program, they'll say, well, go see Dave. I used to go see these guys, but after being with Dave, and I went to see this other comparison, so to speak, I think I'd get a better shake over here. I have a, a great story I would like to share with you, girls, if I may. It takes about five minutes. May I? Yes, yes. Let, let, me, take a, let me take a commercial break here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're here at 225CL, Galaxy Talk Radio here at Roslyn's Corner. And, of course, we always invite you to go to our website at www.t25cl.com. Of course, this radio show is being recorded, and you can go back and listen to it because, of course, you're going to get some great, great nuggets out of this, okay? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you go ahead because I've got a statement I want to read to to, your, to the listening audience and to you, and I want you to get uh, a feedback from you, Dave, uh, regarding this. But go ahead what you get ready to share. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, uh, this, is, this is an ongoing case, and this has happened about uh, uh, this week, as a matter of fact. Uh, I also have parenting groups here, uh, besides the mandated programs uh, of the other programs that I've listed. This one particular person, female, uh, about 30, uh, has a problem with the Department of Children and Family Services and uh, has a one-year-old that uh, was uh, needed foster care because the mother was needing to do other things for the requirements for the Department of Children and Family Services to meet before there could be child reunification. Well, uh, the mother did succeed in, in meeting those requirements. Now, what I'm not saying here that makes this a really great story, 
And it's true. I can't believe it. It even gives me the warm, cozy feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. That, uh, she's, she's pregnant. Uh, she's about ready to have her baby. Uh, I, I think that the term is about maybe this week. But while she was with me for the past couple of weeks, uh, she would say, Dave, if you can help write to the judge, if you can help write to my social worker, tell them the great things that I'm doing, the things that I'm trying to do to better myself, and, and give the persuasion of, of, a, of, a, of a brief, if you would, that's lawyer talk for a, a duration or a, or a case summary about why they should make a difference. I wrote that on my own time. And I handed it to the mom. The mom went to court with this this last week. And the judge and the worker had decided that there will be now child reunification with her one-year-old son that was in foster care. And because of those letters that I wrote, she's been granted the opportunity to be the mom with the one-year-old and has been now for the last two weeks. But here's the Awesome. Isn't it awesome? That's a great thing. Now, what about the pregnancy, Dave? Well... She's about to have a boy, but she says, Dave, I didn't name my baby yet, and everybody in my home and my neighborhood and my family are asking me, what am I going to name him? What am I going to name him? And I said, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Well, after I wrote the letters and she had reunification with her child, then she says, Dave, I'm going to name my baby Dave. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I, I think that she's about due this week for uh, a baby. I may be seeing baby Dave in the actual living part. I don't, I don't have kids, you see, so I'm a little bit entangled in, in how to describe this feeling. But uh-huh. uh, it, it's really neat to know that the mom is going to name the baby after me, Dave, for, for the help that I've given the mom to, to be in compliance to get the agencies off her back, to be the responsible parent and mom, to be the nurturing, loving mom that she knows that she is. She just needed some help to help others to see that, and I did. And now here we are with this amazing result. I would love to be on your show maybe a couple of weeks from now or a month later and tell you about how Baby Dave is now doing. Of course, we would love to. We'd love to. <laughs> All right, very good, very good. Lisa, did you have any question or comment before we go forward? Um, no, I'm just listening. Listening. All right, how about you, Alex? You good? Uh, no, I do have some comments now. So uh, go ahead. Before I was just trying to listen to his, the background. Uh, no, I do have a comment, a, a question, and um, a comment. So I wanted to ask you, um, do you see a greater prevalence? What communities do you see a greater prevalence of this, uh, uh, these issues that you deal with with these uh, former felons? Um, what community has a higher prevalence of uh, criminal issues that tend to pass by your way? Okay. Uh, well, let's break that down a little bit. We have a prevalence. That means uh, what is expected or what would be the, the proclivity of, of the population in a particular community. Well, because yes. there's many communities that are around the Harbor area, and in each community, you have your social economic class. Uh, you have people that, uh, that are on uh, welfare. You have people that work. You have people with part-time, full-time jobs. You got single parents. You got a lot of variables uh, to to say what percentage of, of populations within a community 
could run the risk of a high risk of criminal activity. I think this is maybe what your question is asking. Uh, it would depend on the person themselves. Um, obviously, when, when something happens and, they, and there's an arrest made or there's an intervention by a department, that means that something and, and what they've done before they even saw me, before they were even known in the community only by their actions, we could have had their actions masked by years of abuse that were ongoing that we never would notice or be exposed to until it rises to the surface. So I guess to answer your question, uh, you would have ethnicities, okay? You would have the, the academics, the education, um, what grade level did they complete? Uh, we would have uh, the social economic class. We would have to consider uh, offenders, previous offenders, non-offenders. Uh, gosh, we're so diverse. Did you realize the city of Los Angeles in itself has over 6 million people? And, and, and that includes the same location where I have my practice as part of that, because after all, I am in Los Angeles City, even though I'm in the Harbor area. And so with all those millions of people, and Los Angeles is a very large city, every uh, city that, like Dallas or Fort Worth or Chicago, New York, you name it, uh, Tampa, whatever it may be, they all have the same denominators about what, by terms of statistics, are the communities most apt to do within, say, projections of one year, projections of five years. How are these statistics obtained? Well, there are random people that do these uh, statistics. It could be uh, you can go to your neighborhood watch community center. Uh, getting involved in with your police is a great idea. Uh, going to neighborhood watch meetings. Uh, there is so much uh, internet availability. For example, uh, if you were to Google and write in child predators in your city, you will be amazed what pops up on that on that map because it's called right. okay. And then you would see for yourself how close you are to the perpetrators of of people that have been convicted of these felonies or misdemeanors, what have you. And it would be just surprisingly to see, I thought I lived in a safe city, in a safe neighborhood, only to see that so forth and so on is happening very close to where my children go to school or where I go for my recreation. Uh, technology has moved us to a point of, of better keenness and awareness of, of your surroundings than ever before. And it's a tool that needs to be used to, to see to yourself, well, how safe do I really feel? Okay, I hear on the news, I see over here, I hear this, I see that. But if you challenge yourself to do your own research, you say you can then be better to see and empowered to go, well, now I can see where the key positions of what's bothering me and what's being done about it because you've done the work yourself. I, 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 I am one person with my group, okay, Alex and Rosalind, that mm -hmm. I expect action. 
I say to my clients, I say, listen, I can talk, I can say these things, I can show you these things, but if you don't do the action, then it, then that's the other half of the same point that you need to do to have a holistic view. So I'm saying this, and that's a, the point here, is challenge yourself, get to know your surroundings, get involved, and that way you'll have a better perspective of, of your your life and your area where you live and how you see things in a, in a way that makes sense to you. I challenge people to delineate, to interpret what they do and how much energy they put into educating themselves and then to, to compare that with outside public events, even with the fire department, the, the, the hospitals, um, police. These are all people that are involved in the same business that I'm in, directly or indirectly. But they have seminars. They have workshops. They, they have community centers where if people want to actively get involved in their community, then they should sign up and, and attend these meetings, and most of them are at no cost. And, and uh, it was just the other day in Long Beach, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I, I was reading that the uh, police department there were going to be having commendations and awards, uh, 45th annual um, uh, meeting, and the public is welcome to attend to see how the officers do their jobs and, and the things that they do to help the communities. And then you have, who else? Public defenders. I know many trial attorneys. I know many prosecutors, okay? I know some judges. That that each individual discipline has their points of views, behaviors, and attitudes. But then when we go shopping, so to speak, to see a little bit of each, we fill our grocery cart with the essentials, okay? Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. stop those essentials to decide what is best for for us, individuals. Right now. See, you just segued into what I was getting ready to um, speak on right now because I wanted to to, uh, delve into a little bit before our show ends. When we think about the criminal justice system, law and politics, okay, and you think about uh, items that – we think about this. Based on the theme that criminal justice involves a relationship between law and politics operating in an administrative system, there are essays that are presented on politics and the administration of justice, the police, the prosecution, the defense attorneys, the courts, the corrections, and police and reform. There are articles on politics and the administration of justice that treats values of supporting the due process and the criminal control models of the criminal justice process and the the links between criminals, the police, and and the the political leaders. Politics has has such um, uh, 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 what you might say uh, a whole uh, great effect into when you talk about the criminal justice system. 
But <clears throat> when you think about the, the, the police and the political leaders in, in one city and what it is like to be arrested, because I know you deal with so many people that you know what it's like to be arrested and charged with a crime in America based on one person's experience. But then there's a, there are essays on the police exam and the use of police discretion. Now, you were talking about the policemen. You know a lot of good police, but we know there's a lot of bad ones. There's bad ones and there's bad apples out there. Uh, but a sketch of the police, the policeman's working personality and the politics and the police. And you think about um, focusing on, on prosecution, and you, you, and you need to consider the, um, what they call the prosecutorial discretion and the, the nature and the effects of, of plea bargaining. Because do you go in, like you go in, do you go into the courts? With some of your clients, do they ask you to go into the courts with them when they're facing the judge, when these decisions are made, when you have to give an account of how they behave from that time that they are given to um, uh, reform their lives, to reconstruct their lives, to get on a better path? Have you had to have done that in the times that you've been into this business? Uh, yes, I have, Rosalind, and that's a very good point you bring up, is that uh, I unlike many treatment facilities that uh, do not have the staff or the credentials or, or the wherewithal to, to help clients uh, in person and courtroom settings, I have, and I've done this for years. For example, uh, it could go both ways. Uh, for the prosecution, I had a couple of cases recently that uh, they were not doing the requirements that were ordered by the judge for them to do. I notified the judge that there was non-compliance, and then the judge would then wait for them to be picked up by a warrant arrest that I would issue to notify the court that there's a problem. Because after all, I, I am ethically responsible to, to fulfill the, the needs of what their expectations are to help them facilitate justice. So, I have been at the uh, stage of a witness uh, 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 several times uh, to help the prosecution case when, when we have a situation that the, the defendant uh, basically uh, is not getting the point, the point of getting what has to get done. And uh, I have served for the prosecution. Now, also with the defense attorneys, on the other hand, uh, I would get clients saying, Dave, listen, I really screwed up. I really messed up. They want to put me in prison for three to four or five years because uh, this is my last time the judge said that if I mess up again, then that's what's going to happen to me. And I'm really trying. I'm really trying to do what i got to do, Dave, to do my best work. Uh, can you go with me to court and, and help me with my case. And I will say, yes, of course I can. In this capacity, although I am not a hearing officer, okay, I am a, more of an advocate. But the things that, that I teach and how I handle myself in a courtroom, many people will take me as if I am a hearing officer, a lawyer. Or a public official in the sense of, of police, and but 
the point I'm being here is making is that I would then say to the defense, this is what we can do, that we give them another chance. They understand the difficulties. They understand what they did wrong. We can prefer a case with an option, an alternative, to present to the judge that they can have an extended program with me, that they failed once or twice. This will be their last operating chance on the third try. That being with me, let's turn this thing around and see if we can make a difference. And I have to say that 10 out of 10 times when I present the materials to the defense in this manner, it works successfully. I would have to say that there was one time about maybe 10 or 15 years ago that I was uh, in an Inglewood court. And the judge said, Dave, I appreciate you being here, and I see what you're doing to try to help this person, but this was one person that just does not deserve your help. So this one belongs to me. Mm. And that's one I remember, and this was, like I said, 15 years ago. Have I had anything like that since? No, I haven't. So there, there is there is term limits on, on patience and tolerance of the system that they actually, and I know this is going to seem like, well, really, Dave, this is what you see, this is what your feelings are, and the answer is yes. This is what I see today, Rosalind and Alex, is that the judges are really there to try to help. They're not trying to put you in prison. They're not trying to put you in jail. If you don't succeed, They'll give you another chance, and maybe another one after that. It's not uncommon. I have clients in East L.A. court that they'll go through a revolving door with the same judge on disciplinary action until the judge, after a certain amount of times, will say, that's it, I'm done with you. You're going away. Um, prosecutors, they, they, they kind of feel the same way. Defense attorneys, of course, they will go along with the side to try to do rehabilitation in lieu of custody. But what I do that no other place does, the bottom line is this, is that they see a face with a treatment facility a hundred times, I will win a hundred times. When they see a with a facility with my name on it and my face, they have the strength and the confidence to have that doubt to say, okay, because you're here, Mr. Spitzer, We'll give it a shot. Many places, many facilities will write the reports and not be present with the defendant to help assist making that difference. And, of course, an illegal consequence will apply. Jail time. Or, or mm-hmm. and it was, not anymore. You're doing your time. That's let, me, yeah, let me ask you this, though, Dave. There is such an overcrowding of our prison system. The prison system is being privatized. What do you say to, well, what do you say to the families or all those who are are in prison right now who really could use the help that you are providing? Well, you see, there's a process that's still in place right now, Rosalind, that will take legislative action to change. Okay, for example... People in prison, they, for them, they have the help and they come into programs and get rehabilitation. First, they have to be nonviolent offenders. Now, Jerry Brown has a program of realignment that he's already instituted for at least maybe a nickel worth of years already. And many of the p- 
people that are in prison are being relegated to misdemeanor offenses now because they're nonviolent, whether it be for drug sales, whether it be for, for carjacking, whether it be for violence, whether it be for whatever, but to decrease the, the populations in the prisons because even the prisons have been subject to litigation by the state of California saying, you guys are doing a lousy job. And so they had to respond to that, and that response was to change their offenders' classifications to go from felony to misdemeanor cases, allowing probation, then probation, then to the courts, and then to allowing them to go to programs such as the ones I have. But the, the key here, they must be nonviolent. So in essence, if they're murderers, ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. If mm-hmm. they had, had done great bodily injury to a, a person uh, that had paralyzed them, ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they have done something so grievous that 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 is not accepted by society, then it's not going to happen. And but the release of people that don't have those things, there's there's favor now to help them to get them on their way. And so this has been already happening already. The statistics are as about close to uh, about 25,000 people that were prisoned are not prisoned that are now in our cities under probation, mm-hmm. and and this means that they would be needing to do programs because of the realignment instituted by Governor Brown. So it is action. It is happening. There is the connection. There is that pathway that is available, and then. Of course, it depends on the individual, again, that goes through these processes, these these phases. This still solely depends on them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been here at T25CL Galaxy Talk Radio, here with my friend Dave Spitzer of the Harbor Mandated Programs. And, of course, he's doing such a great, fantabulous, phenomenal job with individuals who are who've hit rock bottom or who've had such a hard time, and I know. Uh, Dave, I would like you to give out your information for our listeners so that when they go back and listen to the show, they'll know how to contact you because I know there's many of them out there who would love to. Okay, certainly. Uh, would, they, would you would suggest or recommend the uh, a telephone number to the office? Um, your number? Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, just, yeah, but now they're, they're, yeah, me. just, I'm sorry. This is this is waters uh, I have not navigated. Uh, I mean, in, in personal contacting, calling me. Uh, uh, is there a website? Is there a website that they can go to? Ah, okay. Thank you, Ron. Boy, you got me off the website. <laughs> yes. Is there a website? Okay. Yes. Yes. And wait till you, wait till you guys hear what the website is. It's so appropriate. It is the website is www. Okay, it's called downtownpedro.com. Awesome. Like awesome. All righty. Downtownpedro.com. <laughs> all right, all right. Very good, very good. Well, before we close out our show tonight, uh, Alex, do you have anything, a last comment or question you want to uh, ask our, our guest tonight? Yeah, I do want to ask a um, very interesting show, by the way, and I do have one last question to ask, and my question is re- in reference to the African-American um, issue with uh, law enforcement. Do you, um, 
do you see that there's a higher propensity of um, infarctions from uh, that the law enforcement gets into with the African American community? And do you, as a, a person involved in law enforcement, um, do you think that it's as a result of the socioeconomic problem that the African American community has? Well, uh, in all honesty, uh, that we have okay. African American community, we have Asian, we have Caucasian, we have Hispanics. Uh, basically, uh, unfortunately, stereotyping still continues. And, and and when that happens, the discretion of 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 of, of crimes committed by one of those ethnicities ends up uh, being noticed by law enforcement or by people that feel that a crime has been committed against them. It, it, it's, it's, it's across the board. Uh, you're not going to be able to isolate one um, ethnic group as opposed to another in comparison in statistics like these people are more proclivity going to be doing this type of crimes like say um, arson and hijacking whereas these other community people will be more inclined to do domestic violence or drugs. Basically there's a part of each component that these these that people get themselves involved in by their own volunteer means that their means to the end eventually comes out so exposed that there's no alternative except to take the action that we have available for law enforcement, courts, politics, because after all, we citizens, we elect the officials, and if we don't think they're doing a good job, then these officials aren't going to have term limits that they may enjoy only because there's a need for a change with a better person, a better candidate. Uh, I'm, I hope I answered that question to your satisfaction. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I was um, when I when I referred to that, I meant I guess to better clarify my question would be, do you do you uh, well, you said that you don't think that it's a racial thing. Just because someone commits a crime, it doesn't matter what race they are. The police are going to take uh, similar action. But um, from what I've uh, seen in you know in in the media and around me, I've I have a different opinion. A different opinion that there are certain factions of law enforcement that uh, target more the African-American community, per se, um, due to, um, I guess, preconceived notions of that community, and it's playing out in our environment uh, today, and probably always has, but more exposed today due to the media. Um, and I, my, I agree my, with you on that. I agree with you. Uh, you know, what we have here is a generational change. Now, now that we have uh, a new president... Uh, we, uh, we have new things happening with new conditions and new terms and new understandings and things that are going to be always gratefully welcomed and embraced because now we have new controls. And until we get adjusted to these new controls, whether they're good ones or bad ones, it's going to be a process of time, unfortunately. 
and that this is where it's going to be difficult for many, many communities and and Hispanics, blacks, whites, whatever the case may be, because we're all in the nosy pot together, but we all have only our laws, and our laws are the ones that need to be, you know, accountable to to society, because society does need these accountability and be responsible to not hurt other people. When that happens, no matter what race or color or creed they are, or economic class, people are going to be what people are going to be. And, and, and you know, there is statistics that will say well, there's larger numbers with Africans, say, for example, Afro-Americans, as opposed to other minorities. For example, Asians. You'd be very hard-pressed to find Asians in any domestic violence groups. It's next to zero. Why do you suppose that is? I have some ideas why that is, why the Asians aren't involved in domestic violence where you have Caucasians, Hispanics, and blacks. But Asians are not part of that enrollment process. You see? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, I mean, I, I believe that Asians don't report. They under-report because of the cultural issues. Ah, there lies the, 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 the answer to the question. It's cultural competency. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, um, man, tonight's been very interesting. Dave, we got to do a part two. We got a lot more questions. <laughs> okay, part two. Sure, that works. <laughs> we we got to do a part two because I know there's a lot more questions, and we need to really delve into. You know, I I think uh, Alex, she's she's kind of um, skimming the top, but I know she would like to go deeper with this, because even for myself, when we talk about the issues of race, and we talk about you know the 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 judicial system and um as african americans we you know it, it, we see it from our side um no one can see it from our side but how we see it and just like uh, white men or mexicans you know or the the asians you know they see it from their side and like uh, um alex says you know it's underreported when you think about um the asians because their culture is they they don't they don't take it outside their door uh, a lot of times and then um, even with, um, you know, our, our um, Hispanic brothers and sisters, you know, and us as African-Americans, there is a different culture across the board, how we are all raised. And when we think about the judicial system, we think about the crimes that's being committed and the way the, the judicial system and the due process that we go through individually, um, and the reason why I even brought up the prison system, because the majority of the prison system is African-American and Hispanic. So it's, 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 it's cases that we need to delve into and really um, um, speak on and see what the changes can be. What, what, can, what can we do? And like you said, some of the criminals, it is hard, hardened criminals that need to stay in there, but there are some in there. Like you say, they, their felonies have been changed to misdemeanors where they're able to be paroled, come out, and lead a, 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 a life or to be rehabilitated. Um, even with um, my ministry, Victory Outreach, our Victory Outreach was, was, was formulated on ex-drug addicts, 
ex-gangbangers, prostitutes, people out in the street who had no life and no direction. But when we opened up our men and women's uh, rehabilitation homes, we were able to, you know, uh, for 50 years, we've been very, very successful. Have we had our casualties? Of course. We're all going to have casualties when we try to help people rehabilitate because some people just do not want to rehabilitate. They're in there to do their time. They think they're still in prison when they get into the rehabilitation facilities or to even to be in your program. And But your success rate, you say, Dave, has been phenomenal, which is a great story. That's a success story. But we've seen so many who have fallen by the wayside, who have returned to the drugs, who have returned to criminal activity. And we need to see what can we do to help to facilitate something better. We need more programs like you have, you know, and people who are, are who want to change their lives. Because I know you've seen some who have not. You know, you've got your knuckleheads who say, you know, I'm just here to do the time, and, hey, you know, I'm ready to give up out of here. You know, a lot of our, our people who go into our rehabilitation homes are court committed. Because the courts and the judicial system recognizes Victory Outreach as one of those ministries that has a very high success rate. But like I said, we still have our, have our casualties. So, you know, we, we look to, you know, a lot go of, ahead. About, you hit on a lot of great things. And here, here's where the bottom line is, is that these symptoms that we were discussing are describing, these are symptoms of a source. The source and one word is called infrastructure. Infrastructure mm-hmm. needs to change. Infrastructure needs to change. Yes. Infrastructure changes, and then the, 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 the remedies will be very, very well deserved, but it's going to take time. And, but it's the infrastructure within the rural and in the cities. And, and mm-hmm. there you have a whole paradigm. Uh, it's so complex with, with available monies, available staffing, available so forth and so on. Well, it's the infrastructure that if, if we can move that in a direction that benefits all instead of only some majorities or minorities, whatever the case may be, but the, the infrastructure, the schools, the, the churches, the people, the, the, the whole thing. I mean, gee whiz, for us to try to modify that will be, <laughs> I, I don't think we'll see it in our lifetime, to be honest with you, Rosalind. No, no, no. There has to be a paradigm shift. That's what has what needs to take place. There has to be a paradigm shift where we see, we like I said, we're not going to see it in our lifetime. I know we're not going to see it because we're still there's still that struggle. There's, there's still that racism. There's still that divide. There's still that, that, that lording over uh, type of mentality and, and so much going on, you know. Um, I, I call myself a Trekkie. And why I call, I call myself a Trekkie is because even when, I, when you think about Star Trek and I think about I, that's why I am. Uh, and I think about they don't, even, they don't even use money any. They didn't use money anymore. You know, way, what you call it, way in the future. They don't even use money anymore. Um, they, they, there was no, you know, um, I don't know what you call it, the, no ra- racism, but there was still, you still had to deal with people outside your culture. You still had to deal with people who are not like you, you know. And so 
you know, you think about those things that we would love to see change in our country, starting in our own backyard, starting in our community, starting in our city, in our state, in our country, then the world. There's maddening, maddening things going on in this world right now. So an individual is sitting back saying, hey, you know, why, why, should I be, why should I want to be good? But then there's a lot of individuals who are tired and sick and tired of being sick and tired. So until we see that paradigm shift, um, it's going to be a continued struggle, continued struggle. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've been here at T25CL, Galaxy Talk Radio. We are definitely going to have a part two with a show with, with our friend Dave Spitzer. Uh, thank you so much for being on our show, Dave. Thank you for the invitation. It's been a very rewarding program, and i got to say that it fulfills my, my, my soul in knowing that we're carrying the message the best way we can to, to help others along their way. Exactly, exactly. And, of course, this show has been recorded. We do have individuals across the globe who listen to our radio show, and we just want to you know, invite you to listen. Go to couple of hours has been recorded, of course. Go to www.t25cl.com. Go to Rosalind's Corner, and you can, of course, listen to the show tonight. Alex, thank you for joining us tonight. I know we're going to have some more, so when we do a tap part two, I want you to have some deep, deep questions. Okay, my sister? I will make sure of it. It's a great show, and <laughs> thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I thank Lisa for for joining us as well. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, you've been here at T25CL Galaxy Talk Radio here at Roswell's Corner. Of course, we have our other radio shows. Uh, Tomorrow night, we have Dr. Nanana Kwaku with Soul Vibrations with his co-host, Corey Jeffries. And, of course, on Saturday, we have 10 o'clock with uh, none other than the Chief Andre Ward with United We Stand, where we have talks and conversations with our brothers over there in Africa, over there in Kenya, uh, of course with Brother Willis. And then on Monday night we have none other than Lorenzo Elvis Murphy with Compton Politics. And on Tuesday night we have Barbara McGee and Rodney Best with uh, Straight Talk from the Higher Brush. Well, you've been here at Basel's Corner. I want to thank everyone for joining us. And Dave, I'll see you soon. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. All right. To the next engagement. You got it. All right, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.